Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So it's Daniel 7. Okay, so in the first year of King Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was, like, was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of the days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beasts that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. 
It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and trying to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. I'm just going to pray for Matthew before he comes to speak. Father God, I thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for all we're learning as being resident aliens, Lord, in Daniel. I pray for Matthew today, Lord. I pray you give him energy and wisdom and strength, Lord, to speak the truth of your word to us today. Soften our hearts and open our ears to hear you as well. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grace. Amen. Uh, I became a father about 13, 14 months ago. And whenever I went back to the Northwest, where I grew up for the first time since becoming a dad, uh, Emma and I brought Abigail, our daughter, up. And she slept the whole way up. Now, she was only four weeks old. She slept three-hour journey up. And that was great. We went up to visit my parents. And as soon as we arrived, uh, well, she was sleeping. But then we, we brought her inside into this brand new kitchen. And she woke up. And whenever she woke up, she went absolutely crazy. She, she began to panic. All she had ever known was it was a little flat with a little kitchen and a, a small little living room with gray sofas. And all of a sudden now she's in a new environment and panic begins to set in. Where am I? Who are these new people? Why is there somebody here with very little hair in their head? And, uh, and, and all of these things. And so the, the stability of, of her first month or first two months of life in the same place is suddenly shot. And, you know, it's not just with babies, it's, it's actually similar with us. Whenever, whenever life is destabilizing, we can be tempted to allow fear to creep in or, or maybe just to give way to internal panic. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but from time to time, I would go, go into a, a, maybe even a large gathering. It may even be church or it could be something else, a conference, and, and my breathing would speed up and I'd panic a little bit. And so panic is, is quite, uh, quite, quite common to all of us in, in some one degree or another. And so for Abigail, what she needed to hear was the reassuring words of, from her mum and from her dad. And this is where I come in and I'm like, hey, Abby, it's okay. It's okay, your daddy's here. Everything's going to be okay. Dad's here. And, and I, I don't know about, about you, whether it's somebody you go to for reassurance or maybe you are the one that's going to reassure somebody else. Um, but we all need this reassurance from our Heavenly Father if we are to live well and if we are to rest well. But we also need this reassurance if we are to avoid caving in to Babylon. And so we're not going to hear about God as the, the Heavenly Father today, but we are going to hear and see a title for God. It's called the Ancient of Days. And I want to tell you that the Ancient of Days and the Heavenly Father are one and the same person. So we're going to consider today how to avoid caving into Babylon. We've said that whenever the church has been the minority, the temptation either is to A, assimilate, kind of become like the culture, or B, to retreat or separate from culture. This is what we've been saying over the last seven, eight weeks here in the book of Daniel. But with Daniel, we're called to be resident aliens in our culture, radically engaged, yet radically distinct, that we might be the salt and the light of the earth that Jesus speaks about. So this week, we are in Daniel chapter 7, and if you have a Bible in front of you, I want you to be looking at it, verse 1 
Verse 1 tells us that it happens, or this, this vision is set in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. So the passage for, for today happens actually 10 years before the infamous feast where the, the writing is on the wall. So chapters 1 to 6 in Daniel are, are written to show what happened to Daniel and his friends whenever they went into Babylon. 7 to 12 are visions that Daniel had concerning the future. And this is where we are. So Daniel's probably in his late 60s at this point. King Nebuchadnezzar was gone. Uh, a new king of Babylon has been installed. And Daniel, we're going to find, is going to be gradually sidelined by this new administration. And a new administration that seemed to care very little for Daniel and for Daniel's God. So I, I don't know if you were here for week two. We were in week three. We were in Daniel chapter two. We heard about the colossal statue, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, which represents the succession of human kingdoms that come along. And so chapter seven today is a pair to chapter two. It's another dream. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's. He's gone. It's Daniel's dream. And Daniel can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. And so the, the, the vision and these visions encourage patience. Encourage patience for Daniel, but it also should encourage patience for us. Because God is going to bring his rule and his reign into this world, and he is going to vindicate his people. And the question that always arises whenever we say things like these is, well, God, when are you going to go and do this? When are you going to relieve your people? When are you going to overthrow evil for the final time? And you know, today isn't going to answer the, the when, but rather it's going to give us a vision for the future so that we can thrive and not just survive in Babylon. So it should come up on the screen. There we go, wonderful. So to avoid caving into Babylon, chapter 7 gives both Daniel and us a clear realism. So let's not be naive. It gives us a firm hope and so we can be comforted. And then there's going to be a coming test and that's going to be the same for us. So let's hold fast. So if we want to be resident aliens here in Dublin, then we too can apply this to our lives. This isn't just for Daniel. So a, a clear realism. The, the first eight verses that you'll find begin to introduce us to a zoo uh, of four wild beasts depicting four brutal empires. And the empires parallel Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two. So similarly to chapter two, both visions concentrate on the fourth empire, the fourth beast. But what's different about this vision is its intent. In Nebuchadnezzar's vision in chapter two, it is identifying the succession of empires, whereas the vision that God gives Daniel here is about the nature of the empires and in what way they behave like beasts. So it should come up in the slide. We're going to see four pictures. So the first beast in Daniel's zoo is a hybrid of a lion and an eagle. And the reference to the wings being plucked off and lifted from the ground is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar from chapter 4. And then the second is a bear that represents um, Medo-Persia. This is the empire that would follow Babylon. And then the third is a leopard, representing what followed then was the Greek empire. And it's kind of characterized by the great speed of Alexander the Great, who conquered nations with such a devastating speed. And then there's a bit of a shift. The fourth one comes up. Obviously, that is a, it's a, an artist's depiction of what the fourth beast looks like. Um, given that we don't know what kind of animal it is, it doesn't say. But anyway, bear with me. Verse 7, if you want to look on, the, on your Bibles. There before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. 
So this fourth one, unlike the others, this one wasn't likened to any named animal, but simply it is described as different from the others, with ten horns, which is a symbol of great power. And it should come up on the screen. Here we go, verse 8. While I was thinking, so this is what Daniel was saying, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So the little horn seems like the climactic and most powerful ruler in all of history. It's a mighty dominant ruler combining the intelligence or combining intelligence with eyes like the eyes of a man with arrogance, a mouth boasting great things. And this is never a good combination. And the little horn takes aim at two targets. Verse 25 says, he will speak against the Most High and he will oppress his people. So the little horn isn't all bark and no bite, but rather his threatening words give way to acts of persecution that will seem successful for a time. So persecution is in store for God's people. So what then is going to keep God's people from, from caving in? You know, history has always been beastly. And it will continue to be. The 20th century alone saw the rise and the fall of figures such as Stalin, Hitler, Idi Amin, Gaddafi, but to name a few. I think you guys could, could come and tell me a whole lot more. As the verses 1 to 8 are saying this, now not to be naive about human history. We mustn't be naive. We, we mustn't be naive thinking that a new ideology or a new world power will solve the problems of the past. And rather, it should serve as a warning for us to avoid anchoring ourselves to kingdoms, avoid anchoring ourselves to countries, to governments, even anchoring ourselves to popular culture. Because seasons come and seasons go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And as someone from the north, I know this really well. This is everywhere. It's prominent. Where people are caught up in nationalism, with flags separated into religious or political groups. And it simply doesn't work. And the danger for us as followers of Jesus is that we can fall into two traps here. I'm going to come up on the screen. Two different traps, two different types of naivety. First is, uh, is Christians that have retreated from the world. They've buried their head in the sand, content with the Christian clique. I've got my friends and seeing no hope at all for prosperity in the city and lacking the explosive transformative power of the Spirit that is available to them. So there, there's this deep lack of awareness in their lives of the Spirit's power that is available to transform society, to see God's kingdom come. And these people get into their little corner and they refuse to budge until Jesus comes back and rescues them. And we are to avoid this kind of naivety. But equally so, there's another trap of assimilating. Christians are so assimilated to the world that they cannot see the evil and the decay of the world around them or see the evil and the decay of, that is growing in them. They're not on their guard against the world, the flesh, the devil, to the degree that they're asleep at the wheel, spiritually, spiritually stagnant, utterly useless. A deep lack of awareness of our own heart's desires, of, of, of the, the, the sin that can creep in and decay. And we're to avoid this type of naivety as well. So verses 1 to 8 have given us a snapshot of world history. Empire coming, another empire coming. They're getting increasingly worse. But a clear realism that keeps us from being naive will help us from caving into Babylon. But so will a firm hope. You know, there's an abrupt shift from the little horn 
in the text. And all of a sudden, Daniel is peering into the throne room of heaven. It's nearly as if the text here from verse 8 to verse 9 is saying, guys, don't get your knickers in a twist about the little horn. In fact, get away from the little horn. Take a look at this. Fix your eyes on this instead. Daniel is staring into heaven itself. And what does he see? Let's go to the clip on the screen. What does Daniel see? The Ancient of Days, God taking his seat. He's neither taken by surprise, nor is God in a panic. Clothes as white as snow, hair white like wool. A pure and a wise God. Fire surrounding him, symbolizing his holiness, symbolizing his judgment. And and there's language here, 10,000 by 10,000. Basically just infinity of people gathered around him worshiping. And the little horn is continuing to mouth off, continuing to boast. But Daniel keeps watch until he sees a beast defeated and thrown into the fire. And it says the ancient of days sits in judgment and effortlessly executes justice. There's no threat. We don't read of a threat. We don't read of any challenge. There's no prolonged struggle, good against evil. None of that at all. The ancient of days simply says the word and the greatest beast is destroyed. And if you look in verse 13, Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he's saying, And there there before me was one like a Son of Man. What single human figure in all of history might receive the everlasting kingdom from the hand of God himself? A perfect human A son of man would one day come and take over from the beasts. The zoo would be closed and he would rule and reign forever. And so long after the time of Daniel, he would visit the earth and he would establish his kingdom. This son of man is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. You know, over 50 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus refers to the son of man as a title for himself. And so in in Daniel's vision, he sees someone, he sees a person, he's like, like a son of man, it's someone that looks like they're human, but also they're, they're connected with God, they're also a deity. And Jesus would see it fit to use this title more than any other to describe who he is, what his mission would be, and what he would fulfill. And you know, it was, it was this very association to this title that led to him being accused of blasphemy and sentenced to death. You know, in Matthew 26, Caiaphas, the high priest, says to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, you have said so. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow, do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is literally picking up the language from Daniel 7 and he's applying it to himself. And Caiaphas absolutely flips the lid and he says, you've heard it, you've all heard it, blasphemy. Put him to death. And so as we approach Easter, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be reading and remembering about how Jesus was treated, what he endured for your sake and for mine. They flogged him, they tortured him, they nailed him to the cross. And you know, the same God that shut the mouths of lions last week in chapter six did not do the same for his son. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of Man, loved us so much that he gave his life as a ransom for your sin and for mine. He paid the ultimate price to make us right with God. So what's going to keep God's people from caving in 
you know, one day the Ancient of Days is going to hold court. And he's going to look at those who have accepted his son. And as he looks at them, he will find them righteous. Not because of what they've done, but because of whose they are. Because they are in Christ. And so we have this firm hope because the Ancient of Days will one day hold court. The books will be opened. And he will execute, execute justice justly. And you know, the Son of Man is given authority, he's given glory, and he's given sovereign power. And we read that his dominion is everlasting. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So we are to be comforted. And you know, what will comfort the heart and the mind of every believer under pressure from every anti-God force there is, is this, that the one to whom all power, glory, and dominion has been given will one day return to reign in glory. Amen. Amen. So no, no sooner in uh, the first eight chapters is this little horn being introduced and are whisked away all of a sudden to the throne room of heaven to focus on the Ancient of Days who will dispose easily of the little horn in his time. So we get a glimpse at the end of history and we should be greatly comforted. But you know, this comfort may not keep you from pain, but it should keep you from panic because God is in control. So a firm hope, and then finally a coming test. You know, Daniel confesses in verse 15 that he's troubled in spirit. He's really disturbed by what he, what he saw. And he says again the same in verse 28. And in his vision, the fourth beast is characterized by its strength, by its violence, by its brutality. And the interpreter says of this fourth beast kingdom, it'll devour the whole earth. It's going to trample it down. It's going to crush it. In other words, its savagery is going to be absolutely universal but yet it will suffer fragmentation. If you remember back to Daniel chapter two, the colossal statue has feet of clay and iron. So the beast kingdom is gonna have 10 kings and a little one will rise after them and displace them. But dissension and division will always come to the surface. So the evil regime may and it will crush with power, but its power will always have cracks that sooner or later are gonna be exposed. So if you wanna look at verse 21 and verse 25, we see the little horn rises up and his role is revealed. Verse 21 says to wage war against the holy people and to defeat them. Verse 25, and will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people. Church, I want to tell you that this is a tactic of the enemy from, from Eden to Armageddon to wear down God's people. This is the tactic of the enemy today. This is a tactic of the enemy here in Dublin. It's to wear down God's people. But if you notice the second half of verse 25, it says the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. You know, much has been made about what this means and for how long it'll be. John uses similar language in Revelation. But what is sure, however, is that the time will be very much limited. And then secondly, do you see it says delivered into his hands? Delivered into his hands? God is still in control. He is the one that allows his people to be persecuted. He is the one that allows his people to be, to be delivered into the hands of the little horn. But God is in control. You know, there's a bit of an elephant in the room, so let's, let's just address it. What then is the little horn of Daniel chapter 7? Or who is it? It seems to me like this is the last leader of earth's final kingdom. But yet throughout history, many have tried to figure out who or what the little horn is. Its aim is going to be world domination, and some Christians have sought and worked hard and done PhDs and written books 
endless books on what this is. Some, some say it's one world government. Others say it's a, it's a single banking system. Some people say it's the European Union. Some people say it's the United Nations. Other people say that it was Hitler. And Hitler's come and he is gone. And there's been many tyrants that have come and they have gone. So was this a person? Or will it be a person that is yet to come? And they are gone, let's avoid them. In one answer, the, in one sense, the answer is yes. It is a person, and it is a person still to come, and it is a person who has been. Anyone who sets themselves up in power over and against the Son of Heaven and over and against the Son of Man is a little horn. And so at the, at the mention of many of these, ears prick up, and this is where Christians really jump into it, where there's a hint of a, a central world governing system Suspicions rise. And, it's, and what I've said here with regards to all these different potential things, these are all speculation, of course. And so I don't want you going jumping on the speculation bandwagon, but rather the encouragement to each of us is that God is in control and God will ultimately defeat the final beast in a little horn. So what are we to do? We're to be aware of the signs of the times, absolutely. We're to keep an eye out, but we're not to be naive. You know, Daniel saw the demonic government that he worked under, but yet it didn't stop him pursuing the good of the people and the nation that he served in. He wasn't naive. But also, we're not to be so focused on the signs of the times that we end up as conspiracy theorists and we seek out evil and everything and we look at every government, we look at, at every banking system, we, we look at this, that, and the other and think, well, that is evil because it's all connected globally. We're not to do that. We've got to identify the line and we've got to tow it. And this is a challenge for us. And so what do we do? We hold Revelation 13 and we hold Romans 13 together in tandem. Revelation 13 talks of the Antichrist, the one to come, the one with an insatiable thirst for power. But yet Romans 13 talks about exhorting us to submit to the governing authorities. So in one sense, we, we, we hear about an evil a demonic government, but yet we, we, we see Paul in Romans 13 telling us to submit to our earthly government. So as followers of Jesus, we're to hold both of these together. We live as resident aliens here in Dublin, and we seek the peace and prosperity of the city, all the while knowing how it all ends. See these verses here? These verses are key, they're crucial. These verses were here long before I came along. These verses are some of the verses that, that the church has been birthed upon. We're to be a people that seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And you know, suffering and mass persecution is going to follow for God's people. And it's going to be severe, but it's going to be limited. And Daniel knew that to survive Babylon, he needed a greater vision or a vision greater than himself and greater than his present circumstances. You know, at the very end of chapter 7, he sees the end of the age. Will you look with me at verse 26? Verse 26 says, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. You know, the one that Daniel called the little horn, the apostle Paul would call the man of lawlessness and John would call the antichrist. But Jesus would handle him. Jesus would handle him. In the end, church, God wins. But there is more to it than that. You see in verses 18, 22, 27, what is it that's going to keep Daniel and his people 
or keep, keep God's people from caving in. Look at verse 27. The sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to who? You think it'll hand it over to the, to the Son of Man? Hand it over to... No. Hand it over to the holy people of the Most High. The kingdom of heaven is going to be handed over to Christ's church. That is you and I. So God not only sits on his throne to judge, but he gives his son and his saints the kingdom. So God not only wins, but we will inherit the kingdom. So hold fast. So hold fast. Church, despite your present circumstances, regardless of appearances, God is still in control. You might be a minority in your workplace. You might be a minority in the city. You might even be a minority in your household. God is still in control. He will humble and destroy all human kingdoms precisely whenever he decides. And he will give the everlasting kingdom to his son and to his people with him. So one day we will reign with God. Can I invite the worship team back up, please? You know, this glimpse of the end is meant to give us Give us great hope in every season, not least whenever we suffer for our faith. So church, let's not be naive about history. Let's not be naive about the the present nor the future. But let's continue to serve God where he has placed you. Let's continue to pray for our governments. Let's continue to, to, to pray for those who rule over us. Let's continue to seek justice and the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Let's continue to live here in Dublin as resident aliens. But let's not be ruled by fear. Let's not be ruled by panic. Let's not be caught up in conspiracy. Let's not have an unhealthy attraction to the end times. We are to be salt and light. We're not to be tinfoil hats. You know, through the power of the Spirit, we prevent the decay of society. Through the power of the Spirit, we dispel darkness and seek God's flourishing where he has placed us. So to keep you and I sustained here in Dublin, we lift our gaze from the kingdoms and empires and rulers And with Daniel, we turn our gaze to the Son of Man. If you're able, will you stand with me, please? And we will do that. Ancient of days, that is not a term that we we ascribe to you all that often, but it is a term that Daniel has seen and he has written down and it is ascribed to you. Lord God, you are the Ancient of days and you are going to hold court and the books are going to be opened. And for those that love and follow you, you are going to find them innocent because they are in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son. We thank you for that that picture of the son of man who came and who has established his kingdom. And one day he will return to consummate that kingdom. Lord God, may we be found to be in you. And I pray that, that as, as rulers rise up and as these little horns rise up in every century and in every, in every country and every, in, every, in every continent, Lord, we pray that your church and your people would stand firm, that we would not be naive, but rather we would be comforted because we see the end of the story. We've turned to the last page, Lord. We have seen that you win. And Lord, I thank you that it is not only you that wins, but we win and we can stand in that victory. So Lord, as we come to worship you right now, we lift our gaze off of, off of the suffering. We lift our gaze off of persecution. We lift our gaze off of what seems like defeat and we move our gaze onto you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.